welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the PodMoth Media Network. Check out PodMoth for more great podcasts. As always, you can support the show and get over a year's worth of bingeable content over at patreon.com backslash Pod. We've got full-length bonus episodes, mini-episodes, and behind-the-scenes episodes, as well as episodes that cover recent crimes. There is a link to our Patreon in our show notes, and memberships start at just $1. You can also support the show for free by leaving us a positive review and by telling a friend about us. Now, on to today's case. Today, we are going to Ashland, Oregon in January 2017. Ashland is a small city in southern Oregon, very close to the California border. About 21,000 people live in Ashland, but it's also popular with tourists. Because Ashland is in the foothills of two mountain ranges, it's very elevated and hilly, which creates beautiful landscapes. It is legit gorgeous, with evergreen-covered mountains and quirky storefronts and historic architecture. It's a great place to enjoy nature while also having access to cute restaurants, art galleries, and fun shops. That sounds really nice. You and I have been on the Oregon coast, and it's really, really awesome and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we went to Ashland specifically, no. but it sounds like it would be really awesome. Well, technically, Ashland's not on the coast. It's kind of like more central, but it's still just as gorgeous as all the coastal cities we looked at. And I'm actually going to tell you about one of them in a moment because it pertains to our case. Yay. All right. Back in January 2017, 52-year-old Pamela Wolse lived in a house on Morton Street in Ashland with her husband, James Holmes, who goes by Jim, their 16-year-old daughter, Lydia Holmes, and their 12-year-old son, Ezekiel Holmes, who goes by Zeke. The family had a full house, though, because Pamela's mother, Joanne, also lived with them. It was a nice home in a hilly area surrounded by trees. Overall, the family seemed to be pretty extraordinary in a good way. Both Pamela and Jim enjoyed success in their careers, and their kids were very active in activities. Pamela's life was truly impressive. And I'm talking like, oh my gosh, this lady was cool. As a teen, she got an Air Force ROTC scholarship to attend Purdue University, where she earned a bachelor's degree in aeronautical engineering And this was in the 1980s. So not only was she ahead of her time in her field in general, and just getting an aeronautical engineering degree was kind of a big deal back then, but she's doing it as a woman and in the Air Force. Yeah. That is so badass. Absolutely. And for those of you who aren't familiar with American universities, Purdue is a very prominent research institution that is ranked in the top 25 out of all public universities in the United States. So it's a pretty like amazing thing to even just get into Purdue. Later on, she would also go on to get a master's degree in engineering management. After graduating from Purdue, Pamela spent 20 years in the Air Force from around 1987 to around 2007. As part of her career, she even worked at the Pentagon. Nice. Throughout her career, her position in the Air Force took her around the world with her family in tow, and they moved frequently and lived in several states in the U.S., including Texas, as well as some locations around the world as well. After Pamela retired, the family could finally settle in one place, 
And in 2015, Pamela, Jim, and their kids all moved to Ashland, Oregon to make that happen. They wanted to be closer to family who lived there, and they enjoyed an active lifestyle that fit perfectly with the lush landscape in Oregon. Pamela was big into hiking, and Oregon is a great place for that. One coastal area that Pamela loved, though, is Bandon, Oregon, which is a gorgeous location with sea stacks and a beautiful view. We and have been there. Yes, we have, and it was totally gorgeous. It was amazing. We love Bandon. I actually had a sweatshirt until just very recently that was from there, but I have a tendency to buy sweatshirts, and it is hot here, so I don't get to wear them that often, but it was so fun that we got a sweatshirt. It's a cute little beach town, and we stayed at this hotel that had, like, ridiculously small rooms, but that's not really a big deal for us, yeah. but, like, the whole front of it was just a glass door, like a glass sliding door. That's how narrow the room was. And everything was kind of in that room except the bathroom was like behind it. So you could like just look out and see the ocean or I guess people could spy on you if they're murderers. <laughs> I don't know. But it was so cool and we were able to look at the sea stacks. Yeah. And I am apparently obsessed with sea stacks. I've learned that. And just everything Oregon, kind of obsessed. I wrote a mermaid book that I'm currently working on getting published. And it takes place in Oregon on the coast because it's just amazing there. And so she shared this love of Bandon. And if you're in Bandon, shout out. Your town is cool. That's right. It's amazing. We will totally go back there at some point. Yes, we will. When she moved to Oregon, Pamela started a new career by opening a pet sitting business and continued writing. In 2001, she had published a book about Poland's Air Force, and you can still find this book. It's actually really expensive if you want to buy it on, like, Amazon. I think it must be out of print, but you can also find parts of it on, like, ResearchGate and stuff. And I kept seeing this come up when I was trying to research Pamela, and I was like, oh, wow, this lady has her same name, because at first I didn't realize that it was her. Right. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, this lady wrote a whole book. That's crazy. It's really cool. Like her book, yeah. I would not probably read it because I'm not actually interested in military stuff, but it looks very well researched and it covers like a whole, like some kind of expansion of Poland's Air Force and like re like reviving it and like a 20 or 30 year period or something. It looks like an impressive project. Nice. She wrote about the military, but she also wrote about genealogy, which was one of her hobbies. And I believe she was interviewed on a podcast, but I tried to find more information about that podcast, and it didn't seem like I was having trouble finding her actual page. And I guess maybe it's because this would have been several years ago. Uh, so maybe, maybe it's just like buried from being so old. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because this whole situation took place in 2017, so that's already five years ago. Which is ridiculous, but how time works. <laughs> I know, right? In addition to working and caring for her family, Pamela also mentored high school students who are interested in a military career. And I don't know how her planner works because I feel like somehow she has more time than I do <laughs> because she's doing like four people worth of stuff. I know, that is a lot of yeah, stuff. Yeah, she was really busy. Yeah, and that's saying something coming from you because you are also really mm -hmm. busy. You have like... So I many do. things I do. I do stay busy, but I feel like yeah. I feel like Pamela was like writing the book on busy somehow. Yeah. 
Her own daughter, 16-year-old Lydia, attended Ashland High School as a high school student in 2017. And unfortunately, we don't know a lot about Lydia, except that she seems to be a strong, amazing person. And it's kind of unfortunate that we don't know more about her because we do know a lot about her brother. And I'm going to tell you about that. 12-year-old Ezekiel was an active kid. Um, He went by Zeke, as I said before. He participated in activities like Boy Scouts and the Youth Symphony of Southern Oregon. He also enjoyed reading and playing chess, and he sometimes volunteered at an animal shelter. His mother, Pamela, was also super passionate about animals, and so I think that she was probably like a driving force behind him getting into that volunteer position. His mother actually homeschooled Zeke through fifth grade. So he had only gone to a regular school for about a year and a half. Wow. It's possible that they did homeschooling since they moved around a lot. Although to be fair, they had been settled for a bit by the time all this happened because she retired in like, well, from the military itself, not from doing a million other things. From the military, she retired in I think 2007. So that was like when he was a baby. So I guess she was technically not having to move around when she was homeschooling him. But at the time that all this was going down in 2017, he had been going to school. And like many kids his age, Ezekiel loved playing video games. And these games, as it turns out, included violence, which would become kind of significant in this, in, in this case. As a lot of people listening probably know, violent video games are often vilified as some kind of instigators of evil. But they're extremely popular. And I looked this up. And statistics indicate that about 90% of kids play video games at some point, which is a lot. Like, it's more kids than I thought, honestly. Because I knew it was a lot of kids. But as I myself was not a child that really played video games, I have played Nintendo. Like, we had one when I was pretty young. And occasionally, I would play my brother's game system. But he normally didn't let me play it because... Uh, we didn't get along (laughs) as kids do like we both were kind of you know that's my stuff that's my stuff don't play with my stuff so I rarely ever actually played with it and so as a kid that didn't really play video games I was shocked that pretty much all of them are doing it and about 90% of the games that are played have some form of violence so Basically, everyone's playing violent video games. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) And so, I I don't know, it's weird. Like, based on statistics, if they were really making everyone into evil murderers or, like, psychos, (laughs) yeah, we would all be bad. Every single person, except for the couple of us that didn't play games, uh, would be just out of the wall. Although, I watch, like, Infinity Crime shows, so, I mean, it it gets you somehow, right? (laughs) It gets you somehow. He also, like a lot of teens and just adults, enjoyed watching videos of other people playing video games, which is a really popular hobby. And I'm not sure if it was because it was in 2017, but this was presented as like a weird thing that he was doing. Like, oh my God, he's so obsessed with the games that he also watches other people play on YouTube. And now, I guess looking at it from, from you know the year 2022, which is just five years later, I mean, I know so many people who watch video game players. Like, it's so popular. People make entire careers out of it. One of my friends has a YouTube where he plays video games. And it's awesome for him. Like, people really like watching it. So, 
I don't know that that's as weird as people thought it was at the time. It seems pretty normal. Yeah. I don't know. I know just so many people who do this as a hobby that watch these these game streaming channels. It just seems like so regular to me that someone would do that. Yeah. Especially a teen gamer. Like, that's primarily, you know, I mean, he doesn't really have a job aside from doing school. Of course he's going to watch this stuff. I mean, he can get really awesome at the game. Yeah. Also, in addition to playing these games, Ezekiel loved reading violent graphic novels. Murder <gasps> Aaron, mystery gasp. Yeah, murder mystery gasp. <laughs> I read that and I was like, okay. Like, first of all, those are obviously very popular books. But second of all, um, violent graphic novels. I mean, there <laughs> are some that are not violent. I have read some that aren't. But, I mean, the vast majority of, like, the popular graphic novels out there have some form of violence. I mean, if you think about just comic book characters like Batman or Spider-Man or mm-hmm. Wolverine or something, I mean, they're not exactly bringing flowers to the criminals. Like, <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I was right? just like, okay. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't degrees of violence. I mean, there's yeah. obviously some that are like really graphic, but at the same time, I mean, isn't the point <laughs> yeah, of a lot of them? I mean, it's not a big deal. That's normal. Yeah, exactly. It's just wild to me that they're just like, oh my god, these graphic novels are violent. <gasps> I know. I was just like, okay, because I just look over. I have a lot of comic books, so I know they have some that are not violent because I definitely have bought some that are like kind of targeted toward like girls and women that are more like not really violent, but about other like social situations. But I also have like some Harley Quinn comic books, the new Harley Quinn, where she's like her own little, uh, I guess like a dark hero in a way where she's like being kind of violent and kind of like a criminal, but she does good stuff in like the new Harley Quinn. Kind of like an anti-hero. Yeah. She's kind of like an anti-hero. Like she's like, I think there's one, I haven't read them very recently, but I think there's one where like she rescues animals from like an animal shelter or like a testing lab or something. And there's a couple, I think there's one where she like stops somebody from committing a crime, but she like breaks the law doing it. Like she's just kind of like, like still Harley Quinn, but like nicer, I guess. And so, I mean, even that has violence in it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just kind of like, I don't know if that's what we should be using as sort of a gauge of what is going to be bad for you. Right. Absolutely. Uh, So I wanted to include... I wanted to include that because it becomes a very big focal point in what's going on in in this family's lives about these video games and these graphic novels and whatnot. And yet, I mean, who doesn't know someone that is enjoying these things that are just completely normal things? Yeah, absolutely. Well, unfortunately, the video games and the graphic novels did have one documented negative effect on Ezekiel. They distracted him from his schoolwork, as they do. And as a result, his grades were caught in a downward spiral. This is pretty common. Now, a lot of people have no problem playing video games for long amounts of time. And it doesn't really affect them in their other parts of their lives. But there are some people who, you know, just kind of abandon all their responsibilities because they just are having so much fun or they're just kind of addicted a little bit. And that just causes some issues. And in this case, Pamela, when she found out that her son's grades were down, wasn't just going to stand by and watch him flush his education down the drain. And so she decided that she needed to make some changes around the house. And like we've seen in some other cases, one of those changes was taking away Ezekiel's computer. Yeah. Because she wanted him to focus on his studies. 
As you can imagine, Ezekiel wasn't jazzed up about this idea. I mean, no one's going to be like, all right, you can take my computer away. I understand I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, let me just go get my math book. (laughs) That's not normally how people react to this. Even if you understand that the math is important, it's just the act of being controlled, especially by your parent, is just crappy. I mean, it's the same thing as like when you're cleaning your room and your parent comes in and says, can you clean this room? And you're like, not now. Um, it's going to be dirty forever. (laughs) I'm going to make it dirtier. (laughs) Right. And so he was very upset about this. But, I mean, they didn't really think it was going to be a big deal. After all, a lot of parents levy similar punishments. And according to his parents, he'd always seemed like a really good kid. Like, he didn't have any issues in terms of behavioral problems at school. He'd never been violent. He never had any signs of mental illness. He, you know, did all these extracurriculars and volunteered things. So his parents are thinking, like, we have this good kid. He's kind of having a, a, a bad moment with his grades. We're going to write the course. No big deal. This brings us to the morning of Tuesday, January 10th, 2017. On January 10th, most of the family was at home. Pamela, the kids, and grandmother Joanne were all having a normal day, as it seemed. The weather in Ashland that morning was cold and snowy, and there was a blanket of white coating the ground. Unfortunately for what's about to happen, or maybe fortunately, depending on how you look at it, Jim was actually away on a business trip that day. So he was out of town working, and the family was just at home together. That morning, Pamela was in the kitchen just doing normal house stuff, thinking everything was okay. She was most likely preparing breakfast because this would have been a school day most likely because January 10th is usually after kids go back from winter break. But I did wonder if maybe they were having a snow day because it doesn't seem like the family's being very motivated to get ready for school. So maybe they were out of school that day. But what we do know is that she was in the kitchen and Ezekiel came downstairs and entered the kitchen. When he saw his mother, he picked up a chef's knife. Uh Uh-oh. And he approached her with it. Using this kitchen knife, he stabbed his mother over and over in her back and her neck. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Mm -hmm. my God. That's so terrible. Yeah. He left Pamela injured and bleeding. And then Ezekiel turned and went back up the stairs, still clutching the knife. There, he met his sister, Lydia. He lifted the knife and stabbed Lydia, too. In a frenzy, he also stabbed her all over, leaving wounds on her arm, shoulder, head, and back. Oh, good God, that's brutal. Yeah, it's a lot. As it turns out, though, Pamela was not deceased yet, the mother. Yeah. So her instinct to protect her daughter kicked in. And I mean, she had all those years of time in the military, so she was a very strong person. And even with her stab wounds, she went up the stairs to her son, and then fought with him and managed to wrestle the knife away from him to stop him from killing his sister. Damn. Yeah. So even though she'd, like, Lydia had already been stabbed a lot, he didn't continue to stab her anymore after that point because, you know, Pamela got the knife. And she tried to go back downstairs with it, but she was losing blood fast, and she had been stabbed so many times that she couldn't make it much further. So, unfortunately, she had used her last bit of strength saving her daughter. And still holding the knife, Pamela collapsed back down on the first floor and passed away. Oh, no. 
Yeah. It's incredibly horrific. Oh, I was hoping she was going to make it. I know. I'm sorry. I might have misled you because, I mean, she was a strong person, but I mean... No, I mean... There's only so much a person can endure in terms of knives. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it was impressive as hell that she was able to make it up the stairs mm-hmm. and, you know, save her daughter and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and she may have saved yeah. the grandmother, too, because at the time of the attacks, the children's grandmother, Joanne, was also in the house, but remained unharmed. And later on, their father, Jim, would say that Ezekiel did have a great relationship with Joanne. But by all appearances, he also had a good relationship with his mom, especially. And he didn't seem to have anything between him and his sister. So it's not like that stopped him from attacking his mother. Yeah. When And like everyone who knows the family talked about how dedicated Pamela was to her kids. So it wasn't like she was just this deranged, crazy mom who was just mean to everybody. She seemed to be a really amazing mom who like poured her life into her kids. Yeah. And yet he still ended up doing this. So I'm not sure that having a good relationship with the grandmother would have saved her if the mom had not stopped him from finishing Lydia. Yeah. It seems like he was kind of on a rampage to, mm-hmm. to do the whole family. Exactly. And so she probably saved the grandmother Joanne as well, which was her mom. So I feel like she would have wanted that. Yeah. Now, as this attack was going on, two 911 calls came from the home. I could not see who used who called 911. I'm imagining that at least one of the calls had to have been Grandmother Joanne because she would have heard all the screaming and fighting going on and probably gotten scared and called for help. Yeah, that, that makes sense. First responders, including police and an ambulance, rushed to the scene and they found Pamela deceased on the floor and Lydia bleeding from multiple stab wounds. Officers quickly detained Ezekiel, whom they say cooperated. They also recovered the murder weapon, which was that chef's knife. Later, prosecutors charged Ezekiel with murder, attempted murder, and assault. Meanwhile, the ambulance took 16-year-old Lydia to the hospital, where doctors were actually optimistic about her recovery. Even though she received a lot of stab wounds to different parts of her body, she didn't receive any that were, were fatal. And so she fortunately was able to survive the attack and began a long road to recovery. Not only did she have to recover physically, as you can imagine, she had a lot of mental and emotional recovery to go through because not only did she lose her mom so horrifically, but her brother did it. And then there's just the whole fear element of just being attacked by someone you love in your home. Yeah. That's just tragic. Of course. Yeah, totally. In August 2018, her father, Jim, said that her recovery had been going well. That would have been about a year and a half after the attack happened. And I'm not just, I'm not skipping to that point. I just want to let you know about her recovery. He told the Associated Press, quote, she is really strong. She's doing pretty well, unquote. That's good. Mm-hmm. Immediately after the crime, Jim announced the tragedy on Facebook and asked for time and space, which included no calls, texts, or emails. The family actually did kind of close it down a little bit afterwards because it was just so overwhelming. And at the end of this long Facebook post, he wrote, quote, keep us in your prayers, all of us, especially my son, unquote. And I think this is kind of why the family a little bit closed ranks. They said that they had a lot of community support, especially for them and their recovery. But Jim, hardcore immediately decided to support his son, which kind of was weird to me based on what happened. But there was like never a moment where he wasn't going to support Ezekiel. So that kind of, I think, 
added to the whole we're not going to share too much because they wanted to get, like, the best situation for him. Yeah. In Oregon, 12-year-olds who commit murder can be charged as adults. And at first, yeah. At first, the prosecutor wasn't sure what they were going to do in this case. In his first appearance in juvenile court, people described Ezekiel as quiet and emotionless. He also denied his actions at first and basically said that he didn't do it. Huh. Yeah. So, obviously a little bit suspicious. Yeah. As the investigation unfolded, authorities searched for a motive. Doctors evaluated Ezekiel to determine if he had a mental illness. However, experts determined that he wasn't psychotic at the time of the crime. He also had no history of violence that could explain his actions. At that point, it was clear that Ezekiel didn't commit the murder because of a mental illness. However, does that mean that he would be tried as an adult? As it turns out, the professionals who evaluated him determined that he wasn't mature or sophisticated enough to understand the nature or consequences of his actions that day. And because of this, the prosecutor opted to keep the case in the juvenile court system. His defense attorney, Emily Simon, says that she doesn't think that Ezekiel even knows his full motive So police obviously have been struggling with the motive as well. And she says that he doesn't really understand it because of his age. And she thinks that he might need to just work with a therapist over time to better understand why he attacked his mom and sister that day. O'Connor Orchid Estates Apartments, located in the center of the small town of Redding, Ohio, It is widely regarded as the world's most haunted location. Join world-renowned paranormal investigators Abigail Reynolds and Michael Colby as they immerse themselves into every aspect of life in this building and expose the truth of its horrific history. Join us for My Creepy Haunted Life. Billings presents Haunted Apartment Complex, starring me, (laughs) Jack Billings, obviously. Damn it. How did you even get in here, Jack? Let's get spooky, crew. Since Ezekiel was just 12 years old, they decided to let him plead guilty. So, in August 2018, he pleaded guilty to murder, attempted murder, and first-degree assault. Judge Kelly Rabisapur ordered that Ezekiel would remain in the Oregon Youth Authority until the age of 25, and the judge stated at sentencing that she believes exposure to violent video games influenced Ezekiel, but said that that didn't totally explain the murders. Which, I mean, it doesn't totally explain the murders. That part is definitely accurate. But you can tell from some of the reporting on this that a lot of people connected to this case seem to address a lot of blame towards the video games. It comes up a lot, and his father kind of vaguely alluded to that they were trying to keep something secret until court. And that's when the video game stuff actually came out was at the sentencing. And 
he kept saying that he really wanted to advocate for something and that he wanted to make sure other families didn't suffer like his family did. And then the situation that comes out at trial, well, it's not really trial, but at the sentencing hearing, is that he was playing these violent video games. And I was just like, okay, like that's the big, the big reveal. Yeah, it's is like that, that's all you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not saying they didn't affect him at all. I mean, some studies do indicate that there are people that are more susceptible to the violence they see in video games and they can become more violent. But there's also studies that indicate that people who play violent video games become less violent because it's like they're getting out their aggression and they're not, you know, they don't have to do that in the real world. So I think it's like difficult to assign blame to one place. And I'm not really sure that it makes total sense to put so much focus on the video games. But at the same time, since it did take such focus in the trial, not trial, but in the hearing and in the case, I wanted to make sure we addressed it because otherwise you wouldn't be telling the full story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think when it comes to like video games and movies and, you know, other things that have violence, I think a lot of it depends on context, you know, Mm -hmm. like his age, like how violent were the games he was playing? How much is he playing them? You know, like, is he being given like, you know, context about, you know, like what it means you know, in terms mm-hmm. of his own, like, development and understanding. I mean, it's it, it's, a, it's a bigger picture. And, you know, it's, like you're saying, you can't really just take uh, one thing and say, hey, this is the one cause. Because, I mean, something like this, there's probably a lot of contributing factors that led to this tragedy, you know? Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think it's just hard when you do have people who do violent actions who just happened to be playing video games. It's the same thing with, like, mental illness, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do so many cases where there's mental illness involved. And I know it's it's frustrating for me having a mental illness, watching a show when they have, like, the reveal of the mental illness. And it's like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so spooky. Like, yep. oh, my gosh, the horrors. When most people who have mental illnesses are not violent, That's are not right. threatening at all, and may even be the target of a crime, are more likely to be the target of a crime than to be the person you know, perpetuating it. And so it's just difficult to just assign blame here to this one thing when maybe it did play a role, but is this really what we want to kind of, is this like the hill we want to die on, I guess? Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to demonize that thing, you know? Yeah. Because it's, it's not just one of those things where you can say, oh, this is all bad, because mm-hmm. that's not true. You know, exactly. Like, like you said, it's, it's not like that. I think it just ends up kind of becoming a little bit witch hunty. Yeah, because there's been so many cases of that in the past where people have tried to turn it into a witch hunt. Yeah, and, it reminds yeah. me of the other case that we did with the girl who was killed by the rock band. Yeah. And the people were blaming like music and then movies and stuff. And it's like, yeah, there are probably people that get the wrong message. I mean, I know some of the vampire cults that are out there have been influenced by movies, but... At the same time, they're not, like, becoming a problem because of the movie. They're just people who are wanting to do something dark who are using this as an excuse or a catalyst. And I think that that's a little bit different than playing a game and then learning how to be violent. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's not the fault of the movie that these people did the Mm -hmm. thing or that were influenced by it. You know, it's it's their fault. They're the ones who who did the crime, right? Exactly. Well, Ezekiel is going to start his sentence in the McLaren Youth Correctional Facility in Woodburn, Oregon. However, his family is actually trying to get him to move to a different facility. His father, Jim Holmes, supports him and believes that treatment in the Youth Correctional Facility will ensure that he's ready for release at age 25. 
Jim Holmes also believes that his son won't be a threat to anyone at that point, including his sister. It's not clear how his sister feels about this. I know how I would feel about it. I would be kind of unhappy, just being real. I think it's it's distressing for the father to support the son right away. I think that I would struggle with that if I were the daughter. If I were Lydia, I would have struggled with that hard. Especially, like, losing your mother like that. I mean, having lost my mother recently, I would be very angry at the person who did that. And then also... You, she herself was attacked, and I feel like she should be the priority, which he says that he's making her the priority, and we'll get to that in a minute. Because he does make a statement, and I was going to share that statement, so because it's, it's his words, so you can kind of see where he's feeling. But at the same time, I was like, wow, I would feel very, very, very betrayed if I were her, just being honest about my feelings. To this day, Jim Holmes describes his son as a quote-unquote great kid, and he says that he had to forgive his son soon after the crime. He said, quote, I had to take that step for, of forgiveness for myself. I know if I were holding on to rage and anger at him, it wasn't going to do me any good. That was a crucial thing and made the rest of the horrible journey much easier, unquote. He told the media that Ezekiel is maturing in youth detention and is doing well academically. Apparently, he's also gotten really into religion, which they pointed out as a good thing, and plans to complete college while incarcerated. Just before Ezekiel pleaded guilty, his father released a statement about his son and the situation. And it's a little long, but I decided to read it so that you had his words. He said, quote, As you can imagine, we've had an awful year and a half. Tomorrow, Tuesday 28th of August 2018, my son will admit to murdering my wife and attacking my daughter. There are a great many people who've helped us get through this difficult time. I'd like to express my gratitude to a few of them. I apologize to those left off this list. First off, I'd like to thank District Attorney Beth Heckert and Deputy DA Ruby Harriet. Their decision to leave my son Zeke in the juvenile system is by far the best path for him, especially given that he was only 12 years old when he committed these acts. Just as importantly, leaving Zeke in the juvenile system is the right path to serve justice for my dead wife, Pam Wolfs, and my traumatized daughter, Lydia Holmes. From the early days after the attack, my driving concern has been the safety of my daughter after Zeke's release, based on evaluations by mental health experts for both the state and defense. I am confident that Lydia will be able to have a safe life without risk of another attack from her brother. I also need to thank Carrie Casebeer, Zeke's probation officer, and the staff at the Juvenile Detention Center. They've taken great care in this last year and a half to keep my son healthy, engaged, and moving forward. Zeke will soon transition to the Oregon Youth Authority, which will be a crucial part of Zeke growing into the young man who can lead a safe, productive, and rich life. Additionally, I'd like to thank the staff at the Oregon Crime Victim Services Department. Their program's financial support has taken a significant weight off my shoulders at a time when I was overloaded with so many other burdens. I can't express enough gratitude to Zeke's legal and mental health experts, Emily Simon, Jenny Feinberg, Ari Steinberg-Lake, and the rest of the team have taken us under their wings and gotten us to a resolution that, while it's still awful in nature, is the best possible outcome for Zeke and my family. I'd like to thank the many amazing, loving healthcare providers who are helping my daughter return to a life with less physical and mental pain. I'd also like to thank the community here in Ashland and Medford area. We've had a tremendous outpouring of support, prayers, and love. We've also been blessed with the quiet and space necessary as we figure out our paths forward. 
Additionally, we've had an amazing flood of support from my professional community across the nation and internationally. My family has been lifted up in prayer and thoughts by complete strangers or people I've only met online or for a few moments at one of my various workshops, talks, or hallway chats. Finally, we've been blessed with space and quiet during the last 18 months. Please continue to give us that space to continue our healing, unquote. Wow. It's a very moving announcement. Yeah. And as he indicated, obviously his son did plead guilty. And in case, I feel like I might have glossed over it, but he's going to be in the youth authority until he's 25. So essentially that's about 13 years in juvenile detention. Yeah. Since he was 12 when this happened. So he will be released though at the age of 25. And there, I, I guess his, his defense team and his family is expecting him to be able to live a normal life at that point. I certainly hope that's true. You know, I mean, I hope that this will you know let him you know grow and rehabilitate and you know become a you know a good part of society. You know, mm-hmm. and I hope that this wasn't a situation where you know you have like a psychopath who's not you know really rehabil- rehabilitatable. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word or not. You know, and I mean, from what we've heard in the story, it doesn't sound like that's the case. So that's really good. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, he did he did volunteer to help animals, so that's probably a good sign. That that is. We're like two thumbs up for yeah, helping animals. That's right. That is a good sign. I mean, I just you know, I hope that it turns out as good as can be. You know, I mean, yeah. I hope it turns out well. I hope so too. I also hope things work out well for Lydia. I feel like she's kind of become the most important person in this case. Obviously, Pamela is. Uh, but, I mean, all we can do is remember her. But with Lydia, I just hope that her life is amazing and that she's able to recover. I feel like it would be so scary to have to, like, handle what she's going through. Especially just moving forward and knowing that at some point there's going to be an expectation of, like, happy family time. And, I mean, maybe she's just a much better person than I am and can totally do that. I don't know. I mean, that's that's got to be hard. I feel I mean, like I would really struggle with it. Yeah, I mean, that that has to be hard. Yeah. It's got to be. So all we can do is hope for the best for her and hope for the best for that Ezekiel is able to, you know, recover and be awesome when he gets out. Yeah, exactly. And we can remember Pamela. That's right. And also Joanne, who is kind of having her moment here. She's like quietly there just getting help and, you know, being there for her for her grandchildren. Yeah. And so, and also Jim, who has fought for his kids and what he thinks is best. That's right. All right. Well, that's all I have for this one. I know it's a little shorter. I think our we're going to have a couple of shorter ones this month just because just some of the stories that I want to cover just tend to be, they're just a little shorter this month. Yeah. But that might be nice because I think last month we had one that was like an hour and 15 minutes or something, which is great. But also, you know, some people don't like them that long, so... You're welcome. (laughs) We are so happy that you listened. Please remember you can join us on Patreon. We have so much bonus content over there. It's just like overflowing. That's right. And a lot of really interesting cases are over there. So check it out. And you can join for as little as a dollar. And then there's a $5 one that you get a lot of stuff. And there's like the ultimate $10 one. It does cost money to make the podcast. And a lot of time is involved. So we appreciate your support. 
Also, if you would like to send us a message, you can email us at gmail.com. I'm sorry, you have to type in the actual address. <laughs> <laughs> it's badaxpod at gmail.com. Don't just talk, contact Gmail because they'll be like, we don't know who these people are. This not this is not for us. We also have social media. You can follow us at badaxpod. I'm trying to get back in the habit of posting as I've been handling my grief and whatnot. And Aaron, would you like to tell them about our completely regular website? <laughs> our website is badxpod.com. Go check it out. There's a lot of great content. We, we know you'll love it. You know, we've gotten some people that have contacted us from the website. Yes, I'm going to email you back, I swear. <laughs> yes, we're really very excited about that. You know, please do that. Um, and again, enjoy the website. Yeah. It's great. I'm working on figuring out how to respond to those emails because they came to a different email account than our badxpod email account. Like, they came, I originally had a WordPress account that i've used wordpress for the website and i have one for a different website and i've just been adding websites on and so like it's an old email address and i'm like i don't know how to get it to badax so i need to figure that out so that so that i can contact people back and be like hello thank you for your message i appreciate you because i do appreciate you and you're awesome absolutely all right well have a great week have a good weekend we will see you very soon Bye bye bye